May 10, 1933, a strange phenomenon occurred. As university students all over the country began piling up books and burning them. Two years later, Adolf Hitler was declared Man of the Year by People magazine. Seven years later, Jews began to be exterminated. A great historian once said, we begin by burning books, but it always ends with burning people. This is the danger of censorship. Today, we don't burn books, we simply delete them at the press of a button. But it's censorship all the same. We have found, it appears, necessary to remove messages from our platform, and I think it's well-intentioned, because brethren can't talk to each other. Brethren argue, they fight, they walk out on one another, all over this issue of vaccination status, which is what I tried to address three weeks ago in part one of this message, which I listened to again, and God forgive me, but I feel proud of that message. I thought it was an important message, and I'm saddened, somewhat shocked, that it was deleted or taken down. I appreciate those of you who reached out to me personally, so many of you, uh, not only to ask for a copy of the message, which we've kept locally, but to encourage me. I appreciate, especially yesterday I heard from a minister who decades ago was warning brethren of the times that we're living in today. And it was just great to see that somebody who decades ago was warning continues to warn. Let's begin in 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. And at the end of this discourse with the Corinthians in this passage of chapter 12, verse 31, a, a congregation of lots of division, the Apostle Paul exhorts them to covet earnestly the best gifts. That, that we know that covetousness is, is not something that is an attribute that Christians should have. But in this case it is. We should earnestly covet the best gifts. And he interrupts himself to talk about the importance of agape. But he continues in chapter 14 and verse 1. After telling us about agape, what the best gift is that we should covet. We should all be seeking these spiritual gifts, but the best gift is the ability to prophesy. That is to speak under inspiration, to speak under an anointing, which I have to tell you, brethren, is something that I pursue earnestly. It's something that I covet earnestly. So the question is, am I or am I not speaking under inspiration? Because if I am, and my message is deleted, this presents a problem. If I'm not, 
That's another problem of delusion. So that question is for you, brethren, to answer. Pastor Murray took us through Acts 15 in a very careful way to show how a mature church should speak with one another, how leaders of a mature church should speak with one another. And maybe I should say, less, less so speak with as much as listen to. There's a part where Pastor Murray said, you know, I fully understand what you've said. I don't agree with you, but I've heard you fully, and I've fully digested what it is your message is. I think this is the way spirit-led, spirit-filled brethren and leaders should conduct ourselves. I think the challenge is, let's go to Isaiah 56. I think the challenge is how we view the present world. What is our perception of what is going on today? And, and maybe the question is not, what is our perception? But from what root does our perception spring? What, what is the root of our perception? And, and from what I can see, there are only two answers to this question. Our perception of today is either rooted in the past or rooted in the future. One or the other. And I think it's a danger if our perception is rooted in the past. I think it's a significant danger. Look at Isaiah 56, where we see this challenge of where does our perception spring and what are the implications. Isaiah 56 and verse 9 All you beasts of the field come to devour. Yes, all you beasts in the forest. His watchmen are blind. In other words, they don't see. Things are happening, but they don't see. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Yes, They are greedy dogs, which can never have enough, and they are shepherds that cannot understand. They all look to their own way. So everyone has their own personal benefit that they're looking for, everyone for his gain from his quarter. So how does this affect me personally is really the question they're asking. But what I want to focus on is verse 12. Come you, they say, I'll fetch the wine, And we'll fill ourselves with strong drink. So we can enjoy ourselves. Now, this perception that today is okay. Today is quite a good time. And we can enjoy ourselves. From where does it spring? Isaiah says the past. Because they say this. We'll fill ourselves with strong drink. And tomorrow shall be as this day and much more abundant. So they see the future as a continuation of the past. The way things have been up to now is the way they will continue to be tomorrow. Only tomorrow will be better than today. What we need to understand, brethren, as students of Scripture, is that there's a a discontinuity between the past and the present, and between the present and the future. In other words, the past 
is of no help to us now in trying to understand the future that's coming. It, it, it's irrelevant. We, we have, all of us, have enjoyed life under what I will call the Pax Americana. The, the peace of America as a superpower over the world. So the, you know, in the past, our ancestors would have enjoyed the Pax Romana. You know, the, 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 the empire, the Roman Empire, and the force that it exerted over the world. And there was a peace as a result of that superpower that people enjoyed, the Pax Romana. We have grown up with the Pax Americana. And, and it's hard for us to look out into the future and not see it as anything but an extension of the very enjoyable, wonderful past that we've had. We've got to break this, brethren. What is coming has nothing to do with the past. Except perhaps to say it's, it's the consequence of the past. But any sort of trying to imagine the future by rooting it in the past, we are deluded. What's coming is so gut-wrenching, so foreign to anything we have ever known, that the only way we can truly appreciate what's coming is not to look at the past as we've known it under the Pax Americana, but rather to look to Scripture, to study the prophets, because they tell us very plainly, very, very plainly, they don't pull any punches, what the future is that is coming. In part one of this message, Closer Than a Brother, I shared with you this phenomenon that I came across called mass formation and the conditions that were necessary for mass formation to be put in place and how it leads ultimately to what these university students in Germany, who should have been bastions of free speech, who were intellectually curious how these students en masse completely changed. And instead of pursuing into, with intellectual rigor answers to questions, they shut down any sort of free speech. And they ended up burning books because they suffered from mass formation psychosis. This is the result of mass formation. So I had shared that phenomenon that I just com came across the following week, Dr. Robert Malone was interviewed by Joe Rogan on the Joe Rogan podcast, and he spoke about mass formation, and this thing blew up. It, it just blew up. It was, it was just viral. Everybody was Googling, what is mass formation? And so 50 million viewers learned about mass formation. But if you were not following Joe Rogan, and maybe looking for Closer Than a Brother Part 1, it was taken down. So mass formation is not something that we were, were able to understand if we didn't tune in live or shortly thereafter to Part 1. I take my role seriously. This is life and death. I'm not here. Nobody pays me to be here. Nobody tells me what to say. I'm not going to contort myself to fit into anybody's uh, version of acceptability. I'm going to study the scripture. I'm going to study the world. And I'm going to preach the gospel. 
Let the chips fall where they may. The message was not taken down by YouTube. It wasn't taken down by Facebook. We took it down. And I've got to say, I, I, I feel somewhat betrayed. I don't know. I, I just know the executive committee took it down. I don't know who they are. I don't want to know who they are. But I will make this appeal. Because uh, Pastor Murray asked, why was the message taken down? Uh, we did get a nice email response, which I studied carefully. Let's go to Second Timothy 3. I studied it carefully. And what I'll say is it appears... It was not the mass formation psychosis nor the scriptures that I was speaking on, but because I said the vaccines don't work. That, that's the issue. That breakthrough cases mean the vaccines don't work. That if you are fully vaccinated and boosted and you still contract and transmit the virus... That means they don't work. But that apparently is medical misinformation. And we as an organization have chosen to conform to YouTube and Facebook's community guidelines. Well, let me tell you something, brethren. I I'd actually never read these things. I, I did scan it. There's no such thing as a YouTube community. There's no such thing as a Facebook community. This, this, so there can be no community guidelines. This, this is um, rhetoric. What there can be is a powerful entity that writes its own scripture and then commands that you conform to their scripture, which, by the way, is constantly changing. I'm not going to conform to men's scriptures. I'm going to stick to the word of God, which doesn't change. Here in 2 Peter, 2 Timothy 3, and I want to just zero in. It says here, the last days, perilous times are going to come. But in verse 3, it warns that within the body of Christ, there will be those of us without natural affection. I think we should be very comfortable talking about vaccine mandates. We should be very comfortable talking about the pros and cons of these vaccines. Especially if there is a growing global mandate where every human being on the planet must be vaccinated. I think we should have an opinion on that. I think as a minister of Jesus Christ, I should have an opinion on that. And I think as these vaccinations are now being forced on children, regardless of how we feel as adults, I think we should have something to say about that. I'm pushing 60. I'm not a kid anymore. I've had my life. It's been a phenomenal life. You know, may God grant me more. But... I'm 60. 
Am I going to force a six-year-old to be vaccinated and with, with risk of adverse events because I'm afraid I might get sick? Is, is this how we treat the next generation? Do, do you know the story of Maddie de Garay? A name, maybe you haven't heard of her. Twelve-year-old girl. Wanted to do her part. Pleaded with her parents, please let me get the vaccine so I can do my part. Today she's on a feeding tube. She needs a bag to collect her, her biological waste. And she's paralyzed. As an adverse event from the vaccine. Is that medical misinformation? Am I not allowed to say that with, we have natural affection for children? This matters. But her voice is now censored. She wanted to do her part. She suffered an adverse event. She wants others to know what happened to her. She's been silenced. You probably never heard of her, Maddie de Garay. Just one example of hundreds of thousands of people who suffered adverse events. But we mustn't talk about this. What about the Fergusons? Young family, Christian family, got the terrible news that their four-year-old son has leukemia. We have this wonderful institution, the Robert McDonald or Ronald McDonald House, where if you have a sick child, instead of having to go back and forth to the hospital, and they would have to like commute some four hours back and forth because the child has to stay in care for eight months, they can move into Ronald McDonald House and live as a whole family in the house. And they managed to do that. This man changed his driver's license, address, everything. That was their home. Because of religious convictions, the parents refused to be vaccinated. They, they don't want aborted fetal tissue or, or anything, any these vaccinations. In fact, I did say this in a previous sermon, that these vaccines, all of them, make use of aborted fetal tissue. Two of them in the research and development and two of them in the actual, uh, or sorry, in the actual production and manufacturing. That's, is this medical misinformation or is this fact? And as a Christian couple, they said, we don't want to benefit from abortion. As a result of that, they've been evicted. They have a four-year-old child suffering from leukemia and they're told, get out. This is the future. This is why I'm warning about mass formation psychosis. This is where it ends. First we burn books, then we burn people. First we delete messages, then we delete people. The unvaxxed are quickly becoming non-persons. You have a four-year-old child suffering from leukemia. We don't care. Get out. So there's a website now, letthemstay.ca, where they're petitioning Ronald McDonald House saying, don't do this. This is, this is not human. But this is where we're heading. Without natural affection. Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28. Is the view that we should have regarding this pandemic. Is vaccination the same as salvation? 
Is vaccination our way out of this? Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe not. Deuteronomy 28, in fact, this Omicron variant, top scientists are now saying this might be the best thing that's ever happened. This is sort of nature's way of inoculating the population. Because it's a mild, it's like a cold. And when people get it, they develop the antibodies to SARS-CoV-2. So it's, it's almost like a gift of nature, scientists are saying. And, and what's really interesting, and this is, this is fact, in fact, studies in Ontario are showing this, that those who have been vaccinated and boosted are more likely to contract Omicron than those who are unvaccinated. So when we say the vaccines don't work, this is what we mean. And studies are now showing this. But if Facebook says, that's medical misinformation, or if YouTube says, that's medical misinformation, then I'm, so, I'm not allowed to say this. That, that we have now come under the authority of the World Health Organization and CDC. That's really odd to me. Because I don't see myself as under their authority. I see them as under my authority. I'm here to tell them what's what, not for them to tell me. Why? Because I'm speaking scripture. They're speaking their imagination, their desires, their, their unsettled science, their biases. I'm speaking scripture. And through the authority of, of the word of God, they report to me. I don't report to them. So sorry. I'm not going to comport myself to conform to these authorities that are clearly, from, from my research, leaning Marxist. What does the scripture say? Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28 and verse 20. Is vaccination salvation for us? The Lord shall send upon you cursing, vexation, and rebuke in all that you set your hand unto for to do until you be destroyed and until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doings. How about if we have a conversation about the wickedness of our doings? Rather than vaccine mandates, what if we have a national fast of repentance? How about that? Because of the wickedness of your doings, whereby you have forsaken me. The Lord shall make the pestilence cleave unto you. So these scientists are now saying this Omicron variant is like a gift of nature. The CEO of Pfizer says, we've got a vaccination for that. So now we, by March, we'll have a vaccination for what amounts to the common cold. And this, you know, from the beginning of two weeks to flatten the curve. And every decision that these public health officials have made since two weeks to flatten the curve have only made matters worse. So in March, when we get the vaccination for Omicron, what's next? God says that he will make the pestilence cleave unto us until I have destroyed you from off the land where you go to possess it. The Lord will smite you with a disease and with a fever and with an inflammation, and with an extreme burning, and with the sword, and with the blasting, and with mildew, and they shall pursue you 
until you perish. I don't think Facebook likes that text. I don't think YouTube likes that text. Must I now skip over the text because I might make YouTube unhappy? 1 John 2. We have to understand, brethren, the passion behind these vaccinations. You know, you're, uh, you're an anti-vaxxer. Well, that's language. Language is powerful. Language shapes reality. What about a vaccine enthusiast? Can we insert that into the language? Are you a vax enthusiast? What is this passion where to be labeled anti-vax is a death sentence? Are you anti-vax? In fact, I should have began like this. I'm not anti-vax. I'm just saying. It's like you can't talk anymore. I'm not anti-vax. I'm just saying. As if anti-vax is the worst thing you could possibly be. Why is anti-vax like blasphemy? Well, let's try to understand the, the psychology, the, the, the spiritual thinking and psychology behind this. First John 2 and verse 18. Forgive me as I take a little bit of license. Little children, it is the last time. That means it's time for the great reset. We're running out of time. It's time for the great reset. And as you have heard, that anti-vax shall come. Even now, there are many anti-vaxxers. That's how we know we're running out of time. They went out from us. You know, we were all one society before. They went out from us, but obviously they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that it might be obvious that they were not all of us. But you have an anointing from the World Health Organization, and you know all things. I've not written unto you because you know the deception, because you don't know the deception, but because you know it, and that no truth is of the deception. Who is a liar but he that denies that vaccination is salvation? He is anti-vax that denies Pfizer and Moderna. That's, the, that's where this passion is coming from. This is spiritual. We're in a spiritual battle. And I tried to make it as clear as I could in part one that your personal vaccination status is off the table. I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not here to discuss that. But as a minister of Jesus Christ, I am compelled to speak about vaccination mandates. The arrogance to say that every human being on the planet must be injected. And every time there's an injection, the cash register rings. I can't be silent. And yet, I have been sanitized and removed. Acts 5. Conflict is not always bad. Conflict can be good. 
And conflict is not always ill-intentioned. People can, two different people can come from a very good place, just two different places. And again, that's the importance of us talking this and speaking through this. Acts 5 and verse 27, when they brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, didn't we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. There are consequences to your preaching. If, if this was the time of social media, they'd say, you're going to get us canceled. There are consequences to this preaching. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. And said, Verse 35, And said unto them, You men of Israel, take heed to yourselves, what you intend to do as touching these men. This is Gamaliel, Gamaliel now. He's observing all of this. And in verse 30, 38, so he pulls the, them aside, the, the council. And in verse 38, And now I say unto you, refrain from these men and leave them alone. For if this council or this work be of men, it'll come to nothing. But if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it lest happily you be found even to fight against God. These are difficult times. We have to make difficult decisions. I'm making the difficult decision to allow myself to be shut down. And I have to apologize to our brethren who join us virtually. And I don't, I don't mean any disrespect in saying this. We love you. We're honored that you, you join us each week. I cannot contort myself to fit into men's scriptures that are, that are digital and constantly changing and have clear evidence of malevolence. I have to preach the word. And if that means I'm cut off from you, I'm sorry. But I'm a minister for the Burlington congregation. This is my purview. This is my responsibility. I, I hope that we can continue to bless you with messages. I certainly hope my colleagues can continue to bless you with messages. I'm not changing. I've read the uh, YouTube terms of service, the Facebook terms of service. I've read the reasons why I've been shut down. And I've decided... I'm not changing. I, I am not impressed with this long explanation that a single scripture was quoted. I'm a man of scripture. You want to get to me? You want to change my mind? Open the Bible. So, brethren, this might be goodbye. I don't know. But what I do know is I'm not changing. I'm ready to die. This is not a joke. I'm ready to die for this. Do your worst. I understand. First we burn books, then we burn people. First we delete messages, then we delete people. I understand. I'm prepared. Do your worst. Second Peter 3 and verse 10. Here we have the Apostle Paul mentoring Timothy, and he's at the end of his life. And he's passing the baton to Timothy. And he says here in verse 10, 
But you have fully known my teachings, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions. He's saying, Timothy, you've, you've seen this. You have fully known all of this. Afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all, the Lord delivered me. I never backed down. Come what may. Yes, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. We cannot comply our way out of this. It's, uh, what's that saying that um, I, I just kept running, hoping that the alligator would eat me last? Eventually it will eat you. These are not our friends. The, 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 you know, you've got some snot-nosed kid who's still wet behind the ears. His biceps are skinny than a toothpick. And he's sitting there reading what scientists are saying about me- the medical implications of these vaccines. Delete, delete, delete. He's like 22 years old, knows nothing about life, knows nothing about science, and he's deciding what's medical information. And then we have to conform to them? These are children. The heads of these multi-billion dollar corporations are not your friends. Go ahead. Bend over backwards. Contort yourself in every gymnastic manner you can. In the end, they will destroy you. They're not your friends. I, I know. Let's all go on digital. Let's all go into the metaverse. And then they pull the digital rug from under us. And where are we? Better to say, I will never change. I will never conform. Not, not, not even for a moment. And then we decide where we go from here. Rather than trying to fit into their metaverse, and then by the time we're done, we have no clue who we are. And we've lost all connection with Scripture. I think, you know, personally, brethren, if I have to reject myself in order to be here, I think it's just a very, very sad situation where I'm standing up in front of you preaching the word of God and I despise myself. I hate myself because I know I'm a hypocrite. I can't live like that. Yes, we cannot conform our way out of this because all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. They war game this thing out. They, they, they're just, they're on top of this. These are social scientists. And we cannot be naive. These are not our friends. Waxing worse and worse. Deceiving and being deceived. But continue you in the things which you have learned. In other words, you're going to constantly have a decision to make. Constantly, there's going to be a right hand and a left hand. You're going to be constantly asked to go one way, and you've got to keep deciding to follow God. Every single day, continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of. And what I can tell you, brethren, I have been assured of the Word of God. I'm not quite there yet where I'm assured of the YouTube terms of service. I'm just not there yet. 
I'm not quite there that, you know, the, the Facebook community guidelines. I haven't been assured of them yet. Or ever. But I'm certainly assured of Scripture. And Paul says to continue in these things, knowing of whom you have learned them. And that from a child, you have known the Holy Scripture. So the world is changing around Timothy, but you've known the Scripture from a child. And these are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. This is our inoculation. This is what we need to be injected with. These words, these Scriptures. And then he says this. All Scripture... is given by inspiration of God. All of it. And it's profitable for teaching. This is how we teach. But notice this. Not only is it profitable for teaching, but all scripture is profitable for reproof and correction. Hmm. What is the difference between reproof and correction? Reproof, the underlying Greek, implies proving something. That scripture is profitable to bring something to the proof. It's also profitable for correction. So, we know this. We have, in fact, we have a program called Prove All Things, taken from scripture. Rather than censor... How about you invite me to prove all things? And we, we open the Bible. And we do Acts 15. Because all scripture is profitable for proving things. So rather than tell brethren, oh, don't talk about vaccine status. How about if we say this? Behave like Christians. Bad behavior is intolerable. Galatians 5. If you bite and devour one another, be careful that you do not destroy one another. How about we behave like Christians? And how about we learn how to, how to converse with each other in a civilized manner? And I know, how about if we as ministers model this for the brethren? What if we prove all things and show the brethren how we can have diverse opinions, in fact, we can be divergent and have 180 degree opposite opinion on a matter, but because we love the covenant, because we love God, because we love each other, we can sit down and rigorously go through Scripture and prove all things. What if we model that for the brethren? Rather than say, oh, just don't talk about it. And then we have this cotton candy superficial unity. Nice seeing you, brother. Nice seeing you, sister. See you next week. Oh, I can't stand I hate that person. That's hypocrisy. How about we have differences as we do sit down and talk through them. And then we really love each other. Then we really... I, now I see where he's coming from. I, you know, that whole exchange helped me greatly. I would have never thought of it like that. I'm going to go back and study those scriptures. Thank you. What about, as we get closer to the return of Christ, we realize we've got to grow up really quickly. We can't be children anymore. So we can prove all things. All scripture is here. We don't have to say, shut down, shut that down. Don't talk about that. No. Search the scriptures and speak scripturally, biblically, 
with one another, that iron may sharpen iron. For instruction in righteousness, why do we do this? That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So shutting down doesn't lead to this result. It's a terrible decision that we're making to just simply censor messages and tell brethren, don't talk about these things. This is not reality. This is superficial. This is hypocrisy. We need you to be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. We need you to be mature, to be perfect. The way that we do that is we open the scriptures and we prove all things and we correct ourselves from the scripture. That's how we get there. Chapter 4, verse 1. I command you, he says, I charge you therefore, because of these, because all scripture is there for us. I charge you therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, listen, who shall judge the living and the dead. Whether we're alive or dead, all of us are going to sit before, stand before Jesus Christ for judgment. And this is how we have to view things. This is, the, this is the lens through which we view the world. What will Christ say? So, it, it, it's like he's saying to, to Timothy, don't get caught up in the present. Get caught up in the future. Get caught up in the appearing of Christ and govern yourself accordingly. So every decision that you're going to make, make it knowing he's hidden now. And anybody can say everything. In fact, they are. You're going, any, any topic, you're going to get 100,000 different opinions on it with a lot of arrogance behind it. Because you can say whatever you want now. Especially against Christ. It's open season. But Paul is saying, judge yourself knowing the reality that Christ will be here on earth. And every human being will be judged by him. God has given him judgment. So think about his appearing and his kingdom. Now, when you do that, preach the word. All scripture is given and is profitable. So preach the word. Be instant, in season and out of season. Something happens in the world, tie it to scripture. And give that to the brethren. Something hasn't happened, but you know it's going to. It's kind of out of season. Preach the word. And don't back down. Preach the word. Be instant. In season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. What it doesn't say, brethren, is... Try to get along with Facebook. Make sure that you fit into YouTube. Sanitize your messages so that the oligarchs will be happy. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. This is prophecy. This is the future. This is something if we could rewind and go back four decades and sit amongst brethren, we would be talking about this saying, days like this are coming. We don't really know how it's going to come, but it's coming. 
So now fast forward four decades, and we need to be sensitive to this, that this could be us. As a young person, I was a cat person, didn't know anything about dogs. But when we raised our children in the country, we got this dog, and I just, I, I'm, a dog, I'm a dog person. Love dogs. Amazing creatures. And our dog Kenya would come up to me in times and she'd just love if I just scratch her, scratch her back. She just loved that. Just scratch her back. And then other times, you would see her stand there on her four, four legs and pick up her back leg. I'm not going to be able to do this. But she'd pick up her back leg and I'll do it with my hand, not my leg. And she'd start scratching the back of her ear. And you could tell she just loved that. It was, it was just satisfying an itch. Well, here the scripture says, they shall turn away. So here, verse 3, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Sound teaching. Shut it down. But after their own desires, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. This word heap, it means to accumulate. It, it means let's gather the teachers that are just going to get that spot. It's just, uh, yeah, right, right, right there. Beautiful. Oh, oh, right there. That was nice. Good sermon. It tickled me well. I don't do those sermons. That's not my role. You, you want, to, you want to, uh, to get your ears scratched? Get a dog and ask it to scratch your ears. I'm not doing that. But... What this is saying is we will have teachers, and not one or two, many, to the point where you can accumulate them. You can heat them up, pile on, which means then that those that don't go along are the outcasts. I'm happy to live as an outcast, because I'm not doing this. It's over. If you're asking me to do this, it's over. I'll be an outcast. They're going to heap to themselves. Heap means there's many that are going to go along. Teachers, because they have itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth. Well, if you're turning it from the truth, you must be turning it to something. And if that source is not scripture, if it's digital and it keeps changing, you don't know what you're signing up for. It's this, it's this garden path that's just leading you somewhere, but it's not where Christ wants you to be. They shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fable. So it's not just that you turn away from hearing the truth. It's that you're turning toward mythology, made-up stuff that's not rooted in reality. But you watch in all things Keep watching. When you see global mandates affecting every single human being on the planet, pay attention. Don't ignore that. Don't think, oh, that's nothing. The world is changing in unprecedented ways. Watch and preach and endure afflictions. It's not going to go well. Oh, well. We signed up for this. It's all right. We signed up for this. And this, in fact, is taking me where I really wanted to go. 
And it's really the importance of Passover. This is why Passover, this year, is so critical. If we've been taking Passover hypocritically for years, let's stop. Let's, let's make this the Passover of all Passovers. This counts. This counts. And I'll come to that in a bit. But it's how we're going to endure afflictions. When we understand Passover at its root and core and depth, we can endure anything. Endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist. An evangelist has good news. In context. In context. What's the context? Bad news. I'm afraid I have to take you to Deuteronomy. And I have to, I have to heap up the curses for you. So you understand what this is. And what we've earned. And what's coming. And when we fully grasp the bad news, hey, I've got good news. That's not the whole story. But you need to understand that in order to appreciate the euangelion, the good news. It's not just like, oh, preach the good news. Jesus is Lord, and he's very, very loving. He loves you, and he loves me too. And it's, it's just going to be so nice when he comes. That's not good news. That's absolute nonsense and deception. I'll give you the good news. Jesus Christ is furious. He is furious. All of this pedophilia and abortion, he is furious. And he wants you to leave the allegiance of Satan and join the covenant community and usher in his kingdom. And that's the message we have. And YouTube, Facebook, these oligarchs, uh, Pfizer, Moderna, governments, they don't want to hear this. But they're not our friends. We have no friends in the elite of this world. Not one. Do the work of an evangelist and make full proof of your ministry. Full proof, not half proof. You know they have a thing that's very important to them? It's called being fully vaccinated. Well, what's important to me is to being fully proofed as a minister. That's what I'm after. To be fully proofed as a minister of Jesus Christ. Let's go to John 15, because I want to talk about the Passover as we wrap up. The Passover is coming. And it's not just a ritual. It is a ritual in the sense that it's ritualistic. And there are symbols and there's a way that we do it. But if all it is is a ritual, we are missing a profound opportunity. A profound opportunity to be ready. To be ready. I talked last time in part one about the epidemic of loneliness. And how so many people are suffering from loneliness. And how, when we are alone, this is the agenda of Satan, to isolate us, to atomize us, 
And that when we are isolated, when we are atomized, when we are alone, we're vulnerable. And I said, therefore, pursue friendship, real deep friendship within the body of Christ. Make the effort. And realize you cannot have that deep, profound bond with everybody. But can you have it with one? Make that effort. That all of us know we have somebody in the body of Christ that we can turn to. And if you have that, you are wealthy beyond measure. That is true wealth. At the end, it's our relationships. That's, nobody's going to say, I wish I had a bigger house, a bigger car. It's the depth of our relationships that we take into eternity. This is our wealth. In part two now, as we wrap up, I want you still to pursue that depth of friendship within the body of Christ. But I want to add a twist to it in terms of finding that friend that's closer than a brother. Is to be that friend. To be that friend. To demonstrate that in a time of crisis, you're the one that can be counted on. You're the one that will stick closer than a brother. Today we're seeing families just being destroyed. I said that in part one, that these um, elite are actually telling families, do not invite your unvaccinated family to dinner. They're getting right in and dividing families and churches. Said, let's not, let's not go along with that. Let's not take their definitions of what's holy and what's unholy. If you're vaccinated, you're holy. If you're unvaccinated, you're unholy. Let's not go there. Let's use scripture. And if we have the Holy Spirit, we're one. And this is part of the lesson of Passover. But look now at John 15. In terms of closer than a brother, don't just look for a friend, a brother, a friend that's closer than a brother. Be the friend that's closer than a brother. John 15 and verse 9. As the Father has loved me, in the same way that the Father has loved me, this is how I've loved you. There's this word again. Continue in my love. Continue. Every day I get up and continue in my love. If you keep my commandments, and by this he doesn't mean the Ten Commandments alone. Every time Christ speaks in the imperative, that's a commandment. And we need to be searching the scriptures for these commandments, for these imperatives, and keep them. If you keep my commandments, my instructions... You shall remain in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you. So continue in my love, that my joy might remain in you. Meaning, that doesn't have to be the case. Joy, this joy can be extinguished. We don't want to be in that category. So how do we make sure that this joy, regardless of what's going on around us, regardless, as we see um, a hint of the future, when they will take a four-year-old boy with leukemia and evict him and say, you're a non-person, we don't care, get out. Hint of the future. First we burn books, then we burn people. Because the ideas that are in books come from people. And so if we want to get to the root cause, get rid of the people. So as we begin to define holy and unholy by whether you're vaxxed or unvaxxed, 
get ready. But as the world around us changes, if everything physical that you have is taken from you, can they take your joy? That's the question. Can, can, can you be beside somebody who's got everything and they're miserable? And everything has been taken from you and you're singing and there's a joy and there's a sparkle in your eye because they cannot take this. These things I'm telling you ahead of time that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment that you love one another the way that I've loved you. Listen. Greater love has no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. This is a muscle that we develop over time. If you're backing down already we haven't even started. The battle, the battle is, we've just had a slight hint that a battle is coming. And you've already given up? You're already conforming? This is a muscle that we develop. This bond of covenant that we have with each other. That says, no matter what, I'm not turning my back on you. You've made the commitment, I have to. To the point where I will lay down my life for you. I will be that friend that's closer than a brother. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. What is it you were threatening with me again? How were you threatening? What were you going to take away from me? Oh, my life. Go ahead. You know what? We, we have rehearsed this already. We rehearse it every year at Passover. We understand. So to threaten me with death, you're wasting it. Move, move along. Find somebody else you can frighten. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. So greater, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. So he has laid down his life for us, but then the command is that we lay down our lives for one another. So if we are to be friends of Christ, it's only if we are prepared to lay down our lives for one another. Because he has shown us how he has loved us by laying down his life for us. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Verse 16. You've not chosen me. I've chosen you. So, you know, Amos says, man, I was a farmer. I was just kind of picking fruit off trees and God pulled me and said, go, go up to Israel and give them this message. I'm, no, I'm not a son of a prophet. I'm just a farmer. I feel like Amos. I'm just a kid from the ghetto. And God picked me up, cleaned me up and said, go. And you too. He's chosen you. Whatever your background is, that's in the past. The future is, do the work of an evangelist. There are things you know, there are things rolling around in your mind that people in this world have no idea. You need, you're here to communicate that. Do the work of an evangelist on pain of death. Oh, it's getting a little bit uncomfortable. We have to conform. What? Where, where in scripture is that? You've not chosen me, but I've chosen you and anointed you, ordained you, that you should go and bring forth fruit, 
and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, that you love one another. And this is what the Passover is about, brethren. It's about us learning how to operate on this higher level. All of us have our carnality. All of us have our lusts and desires. And, and Passover is this, this portal through which we must pass every year to come out the other end more mature, having loosened up our connection to this world and, and connecting more to the future that's coming. I want to go to 1 Corinthians 11 here as we wrap up. 1 Corinthians 11. As it deals specifically with the lesson of the Passover that we must get this year. We don't know if this will be our last Passover. We just, we, there's, no, there's no indication of what tomorrow will bring. There's a complete discontinuity, a complete break from the past. So we go from week to week, we go from day to day, not knowing what tomorrow will bring. We certainly don't believe, oh, it'll be much more like today, only better. That's, that's over. So will we even get to Passover this year? I don't know. But if we do, let's take it very, very seriously. Here in 1 Corinthians 11, we're dealing with a congregation that is fraught with division. You know, if only we could have seen how they would have handled vaccine mandates and how they would have been spitting in each other's faces over vaccination status. That's how bad this congregation was. But the antidote to all of that was Passover. And Paul trying to get them to understand how to observe the Passover in a transformative way. This, this is how you're going to get to true unity. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 17. Now in this that I declare unto you, I criticize you, I praise you not, that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. In other words, it'd be better if you guys didn't congregate. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I partly believe it. As reprehensible as this is, I'm, I'm believing it. For there must be also heretics among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. So this is just necessary, part of the prophecy fulfilling that, of course, this is going to happen. Now, when you come together, therefore, into one place, what you're doing is not eating the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone takes before the other his own supper, and one is hungry and the other's drunk. So two extremes. There's not this care, this love for one another. What? Have you not houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God? That's the question. Do we despise the church of God? Well, if we do, the Passover is the antidote to that. The Passover is where we learn to lay down our lives. The Passover is where we rehearse the death of Christ. And we come to it when he says, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I command you. So as we come together for Passover, this is what we're rehearsing. The death of Christ. How did he do this? 
How is it that he laid down his life and, and didn't say a word? And then how do we do that? How do we prepare ourselves to do that? That's what Passover is about. And that's how we become that friend that sticks closer than a brother. Because we've rehearsed it. We understand, okay, I could be crucified. What does that look like? I have to study Christ. How did he do it? Now I understand. And there's nothing that they can do to me that is going to cause me to betray Christ. This is what Passover is. Passover is our vaccination. Passover is our inoculation. This is what we look for. It's the spiritual inoculation against the power of the devil, which is death. The power of the devil is death. Passover is the antidote. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. Listen to verse 23. For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you. Listen. That the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. This is what we are rehearsing every year, and especially this year. That the very night that he was betrayed, he took bread as a symbol of his broken body. And he had that meal with his disciples. And he shared that with them. He was a man on purpose. He was a man of purpose. And as we gather to take the Passover this year, the question is, are we people of purpose? Are you a woman of purpose? Are you a man of purpose? Have you rehearsed your death? Are you that friend that will stick closer than a brother? I want to conclude with a quote. I wish it was something that I said. I wish it was something that any of our leaders in the church would have said. Maybe we would have said it. But I'm going to go to a secular leader. And I just, the words are remarkable. Let me just read it the way he said it. Our natural, unalienable rights are now considered to be a dispensation of government. And freedom has never been so fragile, so close to slipping from our grasp as it is at this moment. Now let's set the record straight. There's no argument over the choice between peace and war. But there's only one guaranteed way you can have peace and you can have it in the next second. Surrender. Admittedly, there's a risk in any course we follow other than this. But every lesson of history tells us that the greater risk lies in appeasement. And this is the specter our well-meaning liberal friends refuse to face. That their policy of accommodation is appeasement. And it gives no choice between peace and war, only between fight and surrender. I'll just continue here with the words of President Ronald Reagan. If we continue to accommodate, continue to back down and retreat, eventually 
we have to face the final demand, the ultimatum, and what then? You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots that conquered bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard around the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? It's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which you must not advance. Brethren, will you be that friend that sticks closer than a brother? Let's just say a word of prayer as we say goodbye to our online audience. And for me, this might be a permanent goodbye. But uh, brethren, let's stand and we'll say a quick prayer. Our Heavenly Father, our great God Almighty, we come before you, Lord God Almighty. We just uh, thank you so much that we're in a world of confusion and increasing darkness, and yet we have increasing light. We have increasing clarity. And that comes to us, Father, because of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you so much, Father, for sending him to earth. We thank you for the mission that he accomplished when he was here. And we thank you for what he's continuing to accomplish now through us. We thank you, Father, for the gift of being alive at this time, We thank you, God, for the opportunity that we have to be people of purpose. We thank you, Father, for the coming Passover. We pray that we'll start wrapping our minds around the importance of this uh, ceremony. We pray, Father, that we, like Christ, can be that friend that's closer than a brother, that through the lesson of the Passover, we'll be ready to lay down our lives for one another. Father, We just want to thank you so much for the brethren. Thank you for all of us, Father. We know we have different uh, perspectives, different opinions. But we know, Father, that we love you. We love Christ. We love your word. And we just pray, Father, with your patience that you'll continue to work with us and help us, Father, to conform more and more to your word and to the mind of Christ, in whom his mighty name we pray. Amen. Thank you.